Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall, and welcome to episode 100. We've reached the 100 mark. It's absolutely incredible. I cannot thank all of our listeners enough, all of our followers, all of our amazing guests, my family, everyone who has helped me get to this point. When I started the show back in December of 2020, it was more of a COVID project, something I've wanted to do forever. My first guest, Vince Pedri, was incredible. I was so nervous for that interview. I still get nervous every interview we've done. Uh, I think we've done over 112 interviews now on the show in the 100 episodes. Stanley Cup champions, uh, Olympic gold medalists, Current Ranger players, you know, Rangers coaches, some of my favorite players growing up, 1984 Rangers Stanley Cup guys. I mean, it's been an absolute dream, and I've been able to have some great relationships out of this with Ranger fans, some great banters. Was all I really wanted was to talk to other Ranger fans about the Rangers, and and it's awesome. I cannot thank everyone enough that listens to this show. Uh, it is it is awesome, and every time I put an episode out and I get a DM from someone saying that was an awesome episode, or you know that guest was great, or you know I, I even when you disagree with me, I love it. I love it. It means people are listening. That means people are engaging, and it's great. And to talk with some of these Rangers legends, uh, something I never would dream of. And you know this week's guest, Steve Larmer, another guy that I grew up. You know, idolizing as a 1994 New York Ranger. That's a team that everyone puts on the pedestal. It's a team that, you know, that was my childhood team. So another guy with the 94 team on, and it's all because of our listeners and everyone. And Belly Up Sports has been great to work with. So thank you to everybody. 100 episodes. Let's hope that 200 comes soon. Um, you know, this season will be our third season covering the Rangers, and it's been uh, quite the run. So thank you to everybody. And, uh, and yeah, let's... Let's get into the episode. That's that's enough with the uh, the thank yous and um, but yeah, the New York Rangers next week. We're a week away from the season opener. We have two more preseason games left. The Rangers will play the Bruins a Wednesday night at the Garden as their second to last tune up game, and uh, they've you know they've kind of they've really shortened up the squad now. Um, they're down to just seventeen forwards and nine defensemen, and now just the two goaltenders. So it will be. Obviously, Igor Shosturkin is the starting goaltender, and Yaroslav Halak, who I don't think there was any competition there with uh, Louis Domingue, but 
he was sent back to Hartford. And now the attention turns to really the last couple spots of this roster is a 6th and 7th D spot. And it looks like it's going to be Zach Jones. I hope it's Zach Jones, former guest Zach Jones. Um, you know, I, th- I hope he gets it. He's played well in the preseason. Um, Leor Hayek, he's still getting high praise from Gerard Glant saying that he had a great offseason. He's put on weight, looks good, blah, blah, blah. Wasn't overly impressed with him in the action I saw of him this preseason. I think it's got to be Zach Jones, um, but you never know. It seems like Leor Hayek is a guy that just won't go away, and he's the last piece to that Ryan McDonough trade. And I feel like the Rangers are just holding on to getting anything out of that trade as possible. And, you know, unfortunately for, I, I don't know if that means Zach Jones is not going to be there. I don't know. I'm not sure. I just, I think it should be Zach Jones. I don't know why he wouldn't be that guy. But, you know, when you look at the rest of the team, you know, is Matt Barkhouse, he going to be the guy? I haven't been too impressed with him. Jared Snorty, you know, it, it, to me, it's between Jones and Hayek for that last spot on the D on the D side, and then for the forwards, you got 17 forwards still in camp. Sammy Blay got in his first action. It was good to see him back out there. He hit everything that moved in his one game. Um, you, know, you have Johnny Brzezinski, who you know, I thought he played okay with the Rangers last year. He's most likely going back to Hartford. You have Ryan Carpenter, who the Rangers brought in this off season as a fourth line centerman. Uh, you have Julian Gauthier, who I think has looked good in the preseason, one of the better players in the preseason. You have Dryden Hunt, who, you know, had ups and downs last year with the Rangers, got some good opportunity. Um, you know, obviously definitely more of a bottom six forward. You have Vitaly Kratsov, who I think no matter what is going to be on this team. And then you get to, you know, some other guys here. Jimmy Vesey, who I think looked really good in a PTO deal. I think he's going to be very tough to keep off this roster. Uh, Gustav Rydahl, who came over, I, I can see him possibly going to the American Hockey League, getting some games under his belt in North America, and then kind of seeing how he progresses and kind of being maybe the first or second call-up guy. It's between him and Carpenter right now, and I guess Brodzinski, too, for that fourth-line centerman. And to be honest with you, I think Rydahl's been the better of the three of them. And, and you know, I hit, Ryan Carpenter came over, and everyone compared him to a Kevin Rooney, you know, he's had a couple turnovers, but, you know, I, I feel like it was his job to lose, and I think Rydell's done what I've seen. He's played very well. I think Jimmy VC could be a guy that could factor in here a little bit, but I don't know what they're going to do with Barkley Goodrow. If he's going to play top line on that first line or if he's going to play fourth line, he can go anywhere. But VC's a guy that if you keep him, he can play more of a third-line role if you do break up the kid line, and Goodrow can play fourth-line center. I think he gives a little more flexibility. Um, you know, I don't know if Julian Gauthier is going to get another chance with his roster. I think he's got the talent. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He just can't score. Uh, draws a ton of penalties. They're, he's going to play in the NHL somewhere. I don't know if it's for the Rangers or what kind of deal they can get for him. But I think the guy, the question mark is Ryan Reeves. Is he on this team? You know, is he going to be a 13th forward? Is he going to be the 12th forward? You know, he did not, you know, he didn't waste the roster spot last year. I thought Reeves... Did exactly what he came here to do. But it's going to be very interesting to see what the Rangers do, how many players they keep, you know, with the salary cap so close. You can't go over, you know, 14 forwards here. I really don't think they can go over 13 forwards, which means you're losing at least four of these guys. And I think the easiest guys off the bat is Brodzinski just because he's on a two-way deal. He'll go back to Hartford. He's a captain in Hartford. I think Rydell might be the guy just because he's – 
need some American North American uh, experience, but I think he's been impressive. And then it comes down to you know Jimmy VC, I guess coming on a PTO is the next odd man out. I don't know if you signed him to a two way deal and have him playing Hartford as a depth guy for a little bit, and then you know you're probably trading Julian Gauthier or, or Dryden Hunt. You know I don't know who who takes those guys, but. Uh, or where they can get from. I think Gauthier probably has more of a market or more of a value to him, but you know, it would be nice to keep him in the back pocket for a possible deal to deadline as well. So, uh, which is why the Rangers need these guys. You know, the need to keep the salary cap to a minimum because they need some space for the deadline. And if you're going into the first week, or the, if you're going to the start of the season with your first line either being Sammy Blay or Barkley Goodrow. That screams to me you need scoring help, and I think come the deadline, that's where that's going to come in. If obviously, Ranger fans have been clamoring and yelling for uh, Patrick Kane. I don't know if that, he's the guy who would be available then, but obviously they're going to need to bring in some kind of scoring help there if if Play and uh, Goodrow can't get it done on the top line or if they just don't want to break the kids up at all. So we'll see. That's really, you know, obviously we'll be paying attention in that, you know, in, the, in this upcoming game to see what lineup uh, Gallant puts out there. He's kind of said that, you know, he wants these final two games to kind of be the roster. You know, he wants to get his final look at everything. So they'll play Wednesday night at the Garden, and they'll play Saturday uh, evening out in Long Island at uh, the new UBS Arena with the Islanders. So Tuesday the 11th coming up, the Tampa Bay Lightning coming into town. Uh, should be awesome. Should be great. You know, the Rangers right now are on a uh, a trip up to Rhode Island, which they've done the last couple years, uh, just to kind of get away for a day or two to do some team bonding. But uh, yeah, it's it's coming down to the very end here. We'll see what the final roster spots are. It's gonna be very interesting to see what they do in the defensive side and what forwards they keep and who they get rid of. I I have to think that Chris Drury is trying to move a couple of these guys to see what they can get. And uh, and Ryan Reeves is the interesting name to me because if he does get dealt, that's he's on a $1.7 million deal. If they can clear some cap space with him. And I'm saying I don't want Reeves on the team. I like Ryan Reeves. I think he was great, great leadership guy, good guy in the room. I think that he was a big part of last year's turnaround just from a cultural standpoint. You know, shifting that locker room, being the guy who screams to release us. Like, you know, you need locker room guys like that. And he, you know, he didn't play bad last year. But salary cap issues, everything else, he's making the biggest deal for a guy who's going to be a fourth-line player for the Rangers. You know, do they do move him? You know, what's the deal with that? So we'll see this week. We'll see what happens there. But awesome interview. As I said earlier, 1994 Stanley Cup champion Steve Larmer joins the show. An absolute NHL legend, an Iron Man. Uh, Chicago Blackhawk, great. Should be have his number retired in Chicago. Man, should be a Hall of Famer. Uh, when you look at his numbers, over 1,000 points, 1,000 games. Uh, you know, one of the longest Ironman streaks in NHL history. And one of the best wingers in NHL history. Just a unbelievable player overall. So he tells some amazing stories, not only for the 94 team, playing in the Canada Cup with Gretzky, all those years in Chicago, playing all those legends in the 80s. Uh, just great Mike Keenan stories. It's awesome. It's such a fun interview. I was so happy that he's our guest for episode 100 because it's you know it's very special, uh, special player to me, special guy, and uh, anyone from the '94 team is obviously amazing to talk with. So 
Cannot thank him enough for coming on. But before we stand to interview with Steve, I do want to tell you about our sponsors over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Listen, the rain, the Giants and the Jets are both over 500 in October. I cannot tell you last time that's happened, but they got some tough matchups this week. They have the the Giants are over in London against the the Packers, so make sure you set your alarm early for Sunday. And the Giant, the Jets have the Dolphins, but who knows if Tua comes back in from that terrible head injury? I think he's out already, but you know that could get the Jets the three and two, which would be pretty great, and maybe the Giants can get a win or. They'll be 3-2 as well. But still, 500 football in October for New York's football teams. That's pretty good. Uh, but to make things even sweeter, you can throw down a stepped-up same-game parlays once per day all season long. So go and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code BROADWAY to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code BROADWAY. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of... The NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Please see show notes for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. We are now joined by a very special guest, 1994 Stanley Cup champion, had over a 1,000 career points in the NHL, Steve Lomer. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Kyle. Uh, I got to ask you, growing up in Ontario, who was your favorite team and favorite player growing up? Uh, my favorite team was probably the Boston Bruins, and my favorite player was Bobby Orr, uh, Derek Sanderson. I like. I became a Bruins fan watching them in the uh, late 60s and the early 80s, or the early 70s, I should say. Now, did you want to be a defenseman like Bobby Orr, or did you always play forward? Uh, no, I always played forward. And then uh, you were drafted in the sixth round, 1980 Angel draft by Chicago. Uh, I was looking at your junior stats. You had great stats. How'd you fall to the sixth round? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't think that I was a very good skater. Uh, but uh I don't know how it happens. I think there were a lot of really good hockey players, uh, you know, back in the early eighties and, and through those draft years and whatnot. So, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to fall down. Um, now going into that draft, what was your expectation? Like from a junior level, did you see yourself like the angels, the next step for me, like this, this is where I'm going, or was it a battle for you day in and day out to try to work your way there? Well, I think it's, you know, always a battle to try and work your way in and out. And I mean, especially when you're drafted so late, you're not going to get the, you know, the opportunities of your first and second rounders and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, my first year pro was, uh, you know, playing in the American Hockey League for the uh, New Brunswick Hawks uh, back in, I think it was 19. 19- 80, 81 or 81, 81, 82, I think. And uh, we ended up winning the Calder, you know, the, the Calder Cup that year, played on a championship team and had a great coach in uh, Orville Tessier. 
that coached is down there and and he became the coach of the uh chicago blackhawks the next year and he brought six or seven of them, six or seven of us along with him and the year before that you made your nhl debut uh against the hartford whalers what was the nerves like remember that night going into that game Ah, oh, well, it was a long. I had to fly from Buffalo to Hartford that day, and then and then play and everything. Yeah, you're nervous, you're tired, you're. There's a whole slew of things going through your mind, right? One of them being, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess that was was their decision, uh, you know, to sign me at that point in time, which was a good thing, and uh, you know, I got. I kind of got my feet wet. Uh, you know, I think I played four games that year. So uh kind of got my feet wet early. And that was right from junior too. So I mean, you went from playing junior hockey to the NHL one game to the next. That's That's got to be quite the speed step up as well. Oh, well, it was. It was, uh, you know, uh, a huge jump. So. And, and then, so like you said, your, your full year, you won the Calder uh, down the AHL and then, you come to the NHL, you make the team opening night, and you score your first op- first NHL goal opening night against the Maple Leafs. What was that like? Oh, it was fun. Uh, I mean, it was an interesting, you know, it was an interesting training camp and whatnot. And I mean, I was fortunate enough to have played for Orville the year before in uh, in Moncton, and he was the coach of Chicago now. And uh, you know, he gave me an opportunity to play on a on a line with Dennis Bard and and Al Seacord and. Uh, you know, I had he had told me that I probably had ten or fifteen games to prove that I could play with those guys, and we'll see how it goes. And uh, so it was a an opportunity for me to take advantage of, and I think I did a pretty good job of it. Yeah, you did a pretty good job. Forty three goals, ninety points, win rookie of the year. I w- I would say you did pretty well that year. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, <laughs> like I say, I got to play with some pretty good line mates, so it made it a lot easier. Yeah, let's talk about that. So you come in as a young kid, and Denny Savard, your, your centerman, and Alice, of course, on your, in your line. I mean, how incredible was that in the locker room? And Tony Esposito, Annette, Daryl Sutter's on that team. I mean, just unbelievable NHL legends. Well, we had a – yeah. I mean, I got – one of my legends was uh, Tony Esposito. And I, I always used to call him Mr. Esposito. He didn't really like that. So, <laughs> uh, But, yeah, he was one of my childhood idols growing up. And, uh, you know, anybody that ever played road hockey or street hockey, you know, if you were playing that, you were Tony Esposito. And he played that butterfly, butterfly style that he played. And uh, but we had lots of, uh, you know, lots of really good players on that team that really helped, uh, you know, kind of mold me that first year. You know, not just uh, Dennis Savard and Al Secord, but, you know, like you said, Daryl Sutter, Bobby Murray was there, Dougie Wilson, Greg Fox, Rich Preston. We had a real good, good, uh, good group of, of people to, uh, you know, to play with. And uh, they were always there to help you. Now, how, now, obviously, that rookie season was fantastic with a number of lines. But how long did it take you to feel comfortable in the league where you felt the confidence that, hey, I'm an NHL or I can do this every night? Probably not. Probably about my fourth or fifth year in. Really? <laughs> well, you, I don't think you're ever comfortable, especially back in the day then when, you know, you were, you know, they could, you know, you see a lot of guys, they have one bad game and then that was it. They were shipped to the minors the next day and you go to the dressing room and it's like, well, what happened to him? And he said, 
Well, they just called him into the office today and they gave him a ticket back to Moncton or wherever it was. But, uh, no, I think there was always that, that uneasiness of, of, uh, for years of, of fitting in before I really felt like I, you know, on, on a daily basis I could play and I felt like I belonged. Uh, so that rookie year, you start your Ironman streak as well, which lasted 884 games. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, now I believe it's sixth all time. Now when you retired, it was third. Um, how many going through that, like how many injuries did you battle through that streak? You know, talk about just how important that was to keep that going. And, and obviously you kept yourself healthy enough to keep, to keep it for all those years. Well, there was, you know, a couple of issues that, you know, I mean, I always tell people, it's like, you know, the healthiest you're ever going to be is the very first day of training camp. And then after that, it goes downhill. You're always going to be playing with bumps and bruises and little aches and pains that nag and, and, and don't really ever go away. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to stay away from anything major uh, where I, I really didn't need, you know, a whole bunch of treatment or surgeries and stuff like that. So, I mean, I was pretty lucky uh, early on to, you know, get a good foot in the door and, and try and stay healthy. And, 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 you know, I just enjoyed playing and it's the same thing back then too. It's like you come in and out here, you know, if you get hurt, you come out of the lineup, well, there's an opportunity for somebody else to take your job too. So, you know, that's always stuck in the back of your mind too. So if it wasn't anything that, you know, there's a difference between being hurt and injured. So most guys will play hurt. It's pretty hard to play when you're injured. So I was fortunate enough to stay away from any major injuries. Uh, the 88-89 season, Mike Keenan takes over as the head coach. Uh, what was your first impression of him? Uh, it was, well, he, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was quite different. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, you come in the, you come into the old Chicago stadium for the first day of training camp and then, you know, everything was changed around. Uh, you know, we, we got a brand new dressing room that was sort of updated. Uh, you know, the, the, the training room was moved. Uh, you know, the storage room was all moved. So we used to have, you know, where the training room used to be, we used to have a pool table, a pool table slash ping pong table that you could go in and, and, kind of goof around and play pool or, or ping pong, you know, when you were at the rink and, and whatnot. Well, that was now the new training room. The old storage room is now a, a first-class gym with all these weight machines and and stuff like that. And uh, I can tell you the first couple of weeks of training camp, we spent quite a bit of time in there, uh, workouts after practice. It was uh, – you know, it was interesting. It was quite a transition. Um, yeah, and, and we've had a couple of your former teammates on that had him in Chicago and New York. Uh, what's your favorite story of his, either from Chicago or New York, just either off ice or in practice or something? Well, he always kept you on your toes. <laughs> was, when you were at the rink, there was, you know, very few days that you feel comfortable. Um, I mean, he was always trying to push buttons and to, you know, find ways, different ways to motivate different people and stuff like that and, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I think the one time uh, we were playing, we were playing L.A. when Larry Robinson was still playing in L.A. 
in the old Chicago stadium. And uh, him and Chris Chelios have been teammates for a couple of years in Montreal and we're still really good friends. And, and Larry's always, he's got a great sense of humor and whatnot. So I think it was during the second period when the defense were, where our benches were together and our defense, the two defenses were at the same end. And I think Larry came off the ice and put his helmet up on top of his head and kind of made a funny face at him, blah, 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 like that. And, and Chelios returned, turned around and did the same thing to him like that. And Mike caught him and that was it. He never, he didn't get on the ice for the whole third period. And uh, I don't know what happened, whether we won that game or lost it, but uh, we come down and uh, Chelly was office and uh, all you just heard the door slam, a bunch of yelling and screaming and, and then another big bang or whatever. So we kind of had to walk, we had to walk by the coach's office to get into where the change room was to get into our street clothes and stuff like that. And, as a bunch of us were walking by or whatever, and the door was open in there, uh, Chelly's stick was sticking out of the ceiling, hanging down from the ceiling. So uh, he wasn't real too. He wasn't real too happy about not playing the third period. <laughs> <laughs> there was stuff that went on like that all the time. <laughs> now, was he big on? Uh, was he a big yeller with you? Like, how did he handle you? How did he feel like he needed to motivate you? Uh, no. It, just you know they're all you know ice time is think it's always the biggest way to motivate people and and taking it away and and moving people around and you know putting them in your position or you know not not going out on the power play or penalty kill or that kind of thing and i mean the, the thing with mike kind of realized john was the most important shift of the game is the first shift of the game so he's going to give everybody an opportunity to play a first shift and, and in doing so, he'll, you know, he'll be able to realize whether or not you've come, come to play or you're ready to play. And so I think I, I learned a lot from that. And, uh, you know, I would like to think that I played hard all the time for him. I mean, it, you know, playing for him was never fun. But at the end of the day, now that it's all over and done with, he's probably one of the best coaches I've ever played for because he gave me more opportunity than every than any coach that I had before that. So, And you were an assistant captain under him as well uh, in New York and in Chicago. Did a lot of guys come to you with issues about him? Like, did you have to go to him with issues with players? Like, how did you handle that situation? Well, I just talk to the players and stuff like that and kind of make them understand what Mike is looking for. Uh, you know, there was – you know, the thing, the thing with Mike is he went into every season. He wanted to win 82 games. He actually thought he could go 82 and 0. And, uh, and that's the mentality that he had. And that's the mentality that he wanted his players to have. And so all this crap or bullshit that we would go through during the regular season was a lead up, you know, to, to the playoffs. And, and, you know, it's like studying for a test. Yeah. Right. And, and making sure that you're prepared for when shit's going to hit the van in the play in the playoffs, how are you going to react to everything, right? People in different positions during the course of the regular season, just to see how they were going to react, you know, knowing that once we were in the playoffs, he, he would have a better judge on, on how to deal with, you know, different players and stuff like that. So in talking to a lot of the players that had issues with him, it was like, listen, just don't, you know, don't let them get in your head. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you can talk to them and all that crap and, 
but you know, work hard in practice and work hard in the games and, and just keep grinding away at it. And, and eventually, you know, he'll come around and, and see, you know, what kind of value you bring to our team. Uh, you get named to the, the all-star game, 1990, 1991, uh, 91 being in Chicago. How awesome are those are experiences. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Oh, it was incredible, uh, you know, to play in the, and that was during the, uh, I think the first desert storm war too. So uh, the national anthem uh, during that game was the loudest I've ever heard it in that building. And uh, it was something that was uh, very special and uh, I'll remember for a very long time. And sitting in the locker room, looking at all those unbelievable players, like, did you ever a moment, like, like a pinch me moment, but like a wow, like, this is pretty cool. Like every single superstar is in this room. Well, yeah, the current guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're in the same dressing room with Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier and Yari Curry and Paul Coffey and you know all these great players, Mario Lemieux that you've played against or lined up against and and stuff like that. And it's uh, it's an awesome. It's another one of those awkward moments where you're you know you're kind of sitting around going. What am I doing here? But, uh, you know, you have the opportunity to kind of hang out with them for a couple of days and, and learn from them and, uh, and move forward. So they're always great experiences. And talk about Gretzky. You played on the same line as him in the Canada Cup in 1991 winning gold. How cool was it to play next to him and play with him? Uh, well, it reminded me of my first year playing with Dennis Savard. Don't screw up. <laughs> you won't be here for very long. <laughs> but, I mean, when you play with these guys, and, I mean, it was, you know, I was fortunate enough to play with, you know, Dennis for a long time, and he was, like, playing with a water bug out there. He just never knew what he was going to do. You just always had to be ready for anything because all of a sudden he would do something and the puck would come to you, and you had to be ready for it and like that. So I think – you know, having had that experience playing with Dennis set me up well to play with, you know, Wayne. And, and because he was always, he played, with, uh, they're very similar in that way is, you know, he made plays that 
very few players in the league could make. And you always had to be ready uh, for that puck when it was going to get to you and get open because he will get you the puck. I would say, did he like tell you where to go? Like, was he telling you like, okay, stand right there. I'll put you know, like put it right on your stick. Or was it kind of like just a flow of a play and you just got to follow along with him and get ready? No, uh, Lane, he just said, you know, play your game. I'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I easy enough, that, you'll, you'll find me at the end of the bench. <laughs> but, but no, he was, you know, easy to talk to and easy to play. And, you know, there wasn't, you know, he never got mad or frustrated. He was, it was pleasant. It was a great experience. That's all I can say about it. It was absolutely fabulous. Um, when, uh, when Daryl Sutter took over for Keenan as head coach and Keenan moved to GM full time, uh, what was that adjustment for you? Obviously you had so much success under Keenan and now a former teammate of yours is now taking over as head coach. Uh, like what, what kind of dynamic did that change for you? Oh, it was completely changed everything. I mean, yeah. they, you know, I drove down to the rink, I think every day, you know, carpooled with Daryl and, and Ricky Patterson and Stevie Ludzik almost every day for seven or eight years that we played together. And then I think Daryl, you know, once he retired or whatever, he, he coached in Saginaw for a year and then he came back as an assistant for a year and, and then he was the head coach in that. So, I mean, it's difficult to, you know, play for somebody that uh, really close off the ice and had a lot of respect for on the ice. So, mm. You know, it was uncomfortable, but I think we, you know, we, we, you know, you, you do the best that you can with the situation. When did you know your time in Chicago was coming to an end? Uh, you know, it's hard. I found it really hard to play. I found it hard to play for Daryl because it was hard for me to talk to him just because of the, the what our relationship was a player. And now I was struggling with, you know, uh, you know, we had a really good relationship as a player and a player. And I was struggling with the relationship as me being the player and him being the coach and, and things like that. And, you know, we, we kind of didn't have the greatest of year and, and it went through and, and, you know, all kinds of changes had been kind of going on prior to that. We went to the finals against Pittsburgh, I think a year, a year or two before mm -hmm. a year before that or whatever. And, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, that's still in the back of your mind that the, you know, losing to them in the finals and, and, you know, guys that I had been there with the Dennis Savards and the LC courts, the Dougie Wilson's and the Bobby Murray's and the Keith Brown's and a whole bunch of us that kind of, you know, played together for quite a while. We're all gone. And it was like, you look around and it's like all these new people and, and whatnot. So I thought that, you know, you know, the writing was on the wall. I was getting older, uh, you know, it was time to, to move on and, 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 you know, either go to a team, a, a really young team that didn't have a chance to win and help mentor some of those kids as I was mentored or, or go to a team that, that, uh, you know, eventually had a, a chance, a real legitimate chance to win. Now, when, now, did you know the Rangers were interested in you or did that just come to fruition at when you got traded? Well, I had no idea. No matter, I got traded to Hartford first, yeah. so you know that was uh, along with Brian Marchment. So you know that was quite a shock, and I thought something was up when when I called Hartford and and they didn't want to talk to me. 
they put me, you know, put me on hold or told me they're going to call me back in five minutes. And then five minutes later, I get a call from Neil Smith and I was, was, uh, was going to New York. So Chicago <laughs> never actually told you we're going to New York. They, they said you're going to Hartford. Well, they, they left well, out the whole second end of the, put the trade. <laughs> yeah. Well, they probably didn't, they probably didn't know that it was going to, it ended up being a three-way or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know back then. I mean, thank God there wasn't social media or I would have found out the day before. <laughs> yeah there's still there's not too many three-team trades in the uh in the nhl and that was obviously brought you and nick kiprios to new york um two huge keys and and, and james patrick and darren turcott two you know big players going the other way so yeah that was a, that was a blockbuster trade back in that you know 1993 yeah. well it was a hockey trade you know yeah. there, you don't see that anymore it's you know it's all about cap space and managing your cap uh, so you get to New York, obviously Mike Keenan's there, uh, and the team, the team's off to kind of a slow start. They're just around 500. Uh, I think when you got there, they were seven and five on the year, but they had a great team, a great roster. You come in, you score funny enough against the Vancouver Canucks, your first game that you score at MSG. Uh, how long did it take you to kind of get in your first time getting traded? Like first time, uh, going to a new team. How long did it kind of take you to get acclimated? Uh, it probably took me about a month, I think. Before I, you know, it's tough. It was a long summer and I missed, I missed training camp, you know, cause I never went to training camp and I missed the first 12 or 13 games of the year. So I was kind of skating on my own in Chicago and trying to stay as ready as I could, but it's tough. You know, training camp's important. It's an important time of the year to, to go in and, you know, put the work in and get acclimated with your new teammates and, you know, figure out, what's going on and whatnot. So uh, it probably took me a good month before I, I felt comfortable on the ice and whatnot. So it was, it, I struggled for a month, I think, with, you know, I was never the most well-conditioned athlete. <laughs> so, <laughs> so probably took Which I'm sure Keenan loved. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my first thought when I got traded in New York. I thought, Oh my God, I'm going from the frying pan right into the fire. <laughs> Is this what I want? <laughs> uh, you were on a number of teams in Chicago that had long playoff runs. Like you said, you guys lost in the finals that one year. When did you think, or I guess know that that team had a chance to make, do something special that year? Probably just after Christmas time or whatever. I mean, it's just the, 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 uh, the, the lineup that we had, the, the, the goaltending that we had with Mike Richter and Glenn Healy and uh, the depth on our defense. I mean, you know, Brian Leach and Sergey Zuboff. I mean, I've, you felt sorry for, for other teams trying to kill a penalty against those two guys. Cause you know, they had the, the puck, they had it on a string. It was fun to watch. Uh, you know, I could only imagine trying to kill penalties against them, but uh we had a lot of a lot of real real good parts, you know, in depth. You know, mass up front with Adam Graves and Tikkanen, and uh, you know, there are a lot of really good players. You talk about Mark Messier, obviously. You know, regarded as one of the best leaders in the game, as a captain, one of the best players of all time. Uh, what was it like playing with him? Oh, it was great. I mean, he just uh, like you say, a great leader. We had. Uh, we had a good, uh, we had a really good crew, uh, you know, with 
enough youth and enthusiasm and, and veteran guys like Mark and Kevin Lowe and Jeff Bookaboom. And, you know, we ended up getting McTavish at the trade deadline and all these guys with lots of experience and had, that had won multiple cups and knew what it took and whatnot. So uh, it was a great experience playing with, with all of them. It was fun. We had a good, we had a good group of players that uh, understood what their, what their roles were and what their jobs were. And, and you know, there were, there was no friction in the dressing room. I mean, Mark was really good at, at communicating and he treated everybody like, you know, like he would his family. <laughs> uh, and I, I've asked every guy that I've had on for the 9014 this question because uh, I feel like I get a different response every time. But uh, the Mike Gartner trade, how surprised were you when that happened? Well, quite surprised. And I mean, in one instance, you're quite surprised that, that Mike, you know, having the year that he was having. And I mean, he's a great offensive player and a great teammate and, and all of that. But Mike was not you know, Mike Keenan, you know, his mindset was, okay, we, we have enough, we've got enough goals, I think, in our lineup. We need, you know, some more playoff experience or, or, or whatnot. And I think that's how, you know, that trade, I think it was for Glenn Anderson. Glenn Anderson, yeah. Came about, you know, he just wanted, you know, another, you know, scrappier, you know, not that Mike wasn't tough or anything, but, you know, just a, a different dynamic of a player than, than what Mike was. So, I mean, what a career he had, over 700 goals. And yeah. I don't know how many, I was reading the other day, how many 30-goal years he had, but I think Alex, Alex Ovechkin might be, be the guy that, that will pass him at some point if he scores 30 this year. Um, and also they, they pick up two of your former teammates, uh, Mateau and, and Noonan as well, the deadline. So it had to be cool to see those yes. guys get brought into the fold there. Uh, a couple more Chicago guys that, that came into the New York team. Well, and yeah. And I mean, but that, uh, Mike always, like we had, you know, Greg Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come and play for in Chicago with Mike. I mean, he had one cups in, uh, in Long Island. And then, you know, we pick up Mike Hudson uh, Brian Noonan and Stefan Mato and stuff like that. And Mike liked those guys. They were, you know, grinding wingers that were strong on the boards and, you know, would make the right play at the right time and, and play the body and, and the, what you need to do in the playoffs in order to be successful. So, you know, there was a, a comfort level in, in having those guys come in for me, especially, but, for everybody else because they were the right kind of players that we needed at the right time. So I've had, I had Greg and Mike both on the show before and they were obviously there in training camp when my, when Keenan first came in and uh, they said they're the two most popular guys in the room because everyone was asking them questions about what to expect. And, you know, they heard all these, not horror stories, but all these stories about Mike's training camps and everything. So you miss out on all those questions apparently, but I'm sure guys came to you during the year and kind of were like questioning maybe what, uh, you know, his, uh, his style of coaching during the year. Oh, for sure. But that was, you know, and I think he was different, you know, Mark, Mark had a good, a really good, uh, beat on, on the dress room. And I think a good relationship with, with Mike that, you know, that they could talk. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started Betfred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetfredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. You know, you know, Mark could get him to back off when he needed to back off. And then, you know, Mark would let him, you know, come in and, and bark a little bit and stuff like that. So I think they had a good enough relationship where it was, you know, they could handle the dressing room and all of the players in the proper way, which I think what is what happened. I uh, thought about missing a game six against New Jersey. You guys go to three down three to go to New Jersey. He has the guarantee. Uh, what were your thoughts going into that night, seeing that he guaranteed a win? Well, I don't think any of us knew that he did that until we woke up the next day. You're <laughs> 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 really not, you know, the, the playoffs isn't the time of year to read your, you know, read the newspapers or watch the news or sports or anything like that. So you kind of stay away from it because um, you don't want anything getting in your head, right? But uh, no, it was uh, quite the quite the effort and and, and uh he's i mean you, you talk about a leader you know and, and and mark wasn't one just to talk and to hear himself talk or when when he spoke which wasn't all the time but it was enough to catch everybody's attention but he also went out and he could deliver mm-hmm. and you know he'd been doing that his whole life I remember playing in them in the playoffs one game against, uh, well, Chicago and Edmonton one year when we made it to the semifinals or whatever. And I think they went on and they, they that was the year they won the cup without Wayne. But uh, we had them on the ropes, I think. Uh, and if we won, if we'd have won the third game, I think we would have went up two games to one and put ourselves in a better position or whatnot. And I remember talking to Jeff Bukaboom about it because I never – played against a guy that seemed to be as possessed as he was that night. And I said, Book, what did he say all day? Like, how was he? And Book said he was quiet. He didn't say nothing in the pregame skate. He didn't say nothing at the meal. You know, he didn't say anything. The only thing he said before they went out for the first shift of the game was, we can't take stupid penalties against this team because their power play is killing us. So his first shift, what does he do? He cross-checks Dougie Wilson in the head, almost takes his head. Like, in today's game, it would have been 
a five minute major and a 10 game suspension, two minutes for high sticking, right? Gets out of the penalty box, the next shift, he breaks the stick, slashing it over somebody's arm, two minutes for slashing, right? Would have been a suspension in today's game, but not back then. And after that, nobody went near him, <laughs> you know, but that was one of the most intense performances. And I mean, he just looked right through you. He didn't even know you were on, you stand right in front of him and he wouldn't even see it. He was just looking so far beyond that. It was, was incredible. So Book and I have a couple of good laughs about that. So uh, game seven, one of the greatest moments in Rangers history. Well, leading into the other game seven, which is probably the greatest, but game seven, Matteau scores in double OT. Uh, how incredible was that? Just watching that moment. Oh, it was fabulous. Uh, you know, just that's what you live for, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and to give ourselves a, a, a chance, you know, to, to get into the finals and stuff like that. And uh, just a great effort by Stefan Matteau. And, but that, I think that's defined how our team played in the playoffs that year. It was just every game was different and, you know, every series was different and we, and we just stuck to, you know, what our game plan was. And, you know, if it didn't happen immediately, we knew if we kept working it, you know, over time it would happen. So, uh, you know, New Jersey was known for grinding teams down and, and jumping on their opportunities and stuff like that. And, and we kind of played a similar game against them and took advantage of the chances we had. That's the like a finals against Vancouver. Uh, you actually scored the first goal of the series, your first of four goals in game one. Unfortunately, you guys lost an OT, but then you won three straight. But I got to ask you about game four. You guys are down two to one in Vancouver, and Burray gets the penalty shot on Richter. Uh, I mean, what kind of momentum did the team get from that save? Obviously, one of the best, probably the best save in Rangers history when you hear the whole call and everything. Yeah, no, I mean, it's incredible. And I mean, you can't win championships without, you know, great goaltending and great defense. And, uh, and, you know, Ricky, he right through the whole playoffs. I mean, he stepped up and, and delivered the goods when we needed them. He made great saves at the right time for us and in, in order to, you know, give us time to, you know, whether it's early in the game to get your legs going and get your shit together so that you can, you know, get on the board or whatever. But, uh, you know, he stood tall every game. And I think you were one of the first guys to hug him. And you, you, you said something to me. You laughed afterwards. I don't know if you remember what you said to him, but – Whatever you said to him, he uh, he started laughing afterwards. So he went from game face to laughter because of you right after that save. I know, though. I think part of playing this game is having fun, right? I mean, <laughs> you're out there with your buddies enjoying you enjoy what you do, right? And, and, you know, when guys do things, it's incredible. You got to be able to laugh at yourself. <laughs> I, I, I was watching the video before we talked, and I, I see – him, him get up and you're you're right there you, you say something in his ear and all of a sudden i see him start laughing as he walks around he skates around the ice and i'm like well yeah, i wonder what he said to him i'm sure it was something oh man he came in pretty fast huh <laughs> yeah i probably told him that i could have stopped that with my eyes closed but you did a good job <laughs> uh so you go back to msg you guys lose game five you lose game six the flight back to ms the flight back to new york from vancouver three three um, what was going through your mind getting back on that flight, going back to New York? You know, what was kind of the feeling in and that, that not only the locker room, but I guess it's the whole team in general. Yeah, 
um, you know, this is why you play, you know, why, why we had the regular season. We ended up in first place. So we had the right for home ice advantage. And, you know, if you were going to set it up any other way, you know, you're playing game seven at Madison square gardens and this is where we want to be. And, and, uh, you know, just go out and get the job done. And, uh, you know, you're nervous because it's game seven. So it's, you know, sometimes, you know, the puck either bounces over your stick or it bounces on your stick and you just hope it bounces on your stick and you can take advantage of the opportunities you do get. And then you're on the ice there for the final seconds there to, as the, the clock strikes down, how, I mean, just explain the emotion going through your body and the atmosphere at MSG. Well, it should have never been icing in the first place because the puck didn't even make it to the red line. So I was blowing <laughs> ball. But just, and then they put a little bit of time back on the clock, right? You're like, oh my God, this can't be happening. <laughs> Anyways, it's not over until the final buzzer. So, you know, let's get on with it. And thank God, you know, Mac T won the face off and, and, uh, and the rest was history. And I like the fact that you went to the corner with the guy afterwards. You pinned him there and you held him there until the final second too. And and then finally all the celebrations started. I was like, oh, you played the final whistle. You got to make sure it blew, right? Well, and you couldn't hardly hear anything in there either. So <laughs> you couldn't hear whether, whether the buzzer had went or not. Uh, or a couple more questions before I let you go here. Uh, I got to ask parade day, parade day stories. I feel like everyone's got a good one. Uh, what was your parade day like? Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, you, you you know, the largest city in North America, and you're going through the, what do they call it, the Canyon of Champions? Canyon of Heroes, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was incredible. A lot of paper shredding going on that day, too, I think. So, <laughs> um, no, it was uh, it was a really, it was a, one of the coolest experiences, I think, as an athlete you'll ever have in your life, you know, winning a championship in, in New York city and, and getting to go down that route was, uh, was incredible. Any funny stories you can share about your night with the cup there. Uh, and after the, uh, after winning it and the celebrations in the city. Uh, well, we had it back here. We didn't do a whole heck of a lot with it. So it wasn't, you know, just some friends and family and stuff, but, uh, I think Glenn Hill, he left it in a bar in New York city after we won it that night. And, uh, you know, I think it was about two hours later, he realized that, you know, where, where have we been and can we backtrack to find it? And it was still there. So <laughs> it was still there sitting there. <laughs> it was still there. So, um, it was great. I mean, the fans in New York were incredible and, uh, it just was, a, a probably one of the coolest experiences ever. Were you surprised when Keenan left? Yeah, I think a little bit surprised that, uh, that he left, but, uh, you know, he, Mike always liked to have full control. <laughs> so, so, you know, the opportunity in St. Louis for him to be both GM and, and coach again and, and have more say in, in things, I think is, is what he wanted. But, uh, you know, I think at the time it was, uh, you know, it was a good move for Neil Smith to bring him in for that year. And he was the right coach at the right time with, with the group that we had. Uh, and then your last year with the Rangers, you played in your thousandth game and had your thousand point. How special are those milestones for you? Well, they're they're real. I guess you know more important now than at the time when you're going through it. But uh, you know, to play a thousand games and and to score a thousand points was, uh, I think, you know, pretty remarkable. Remarkable for a kid that was drafted in the sixth round. So. <laughs> 
It's pretty good return. On, pretty good return on investment there for Chicago. Well, you can say what you want, but I mean, Luke Robitaille was was he drafted in the eleventh round? He's high scoring left winger. So I mean, the draft is a uh, not an exact science. And then uh, obviously, it's been a lot of fanfare around possible Hall of Fame uh, nomination for you. Um, it must be special hearing your name brought up and hearing all the fans that support you. And I'm one of them. I think you believe uh, you belong on the Hall of Fame. And, and hopefully someday that uh, you'll get in there. Well, thank you. I mean, I mean if it, it's one of those things. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I'm still proud of what I was able to do. Well, Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, congratulations on a fantastic career. And it was an honor to have you on the show. And anytime you get some guy from the 94 team on, we absolutely love it. And uh, and thank you so much for coming on. They we're all still around, thankfully. Too. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Steve Lummer for joining us. Uh, just an incredible interview, incredible man, incredible player. Should be in the Hall of Fame. As I said there at the end of the interview, I am a big believer that he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I think that the Chicago Blackhawks should retire his number. I know a ton of Blackhawk fans agree with me. I know there's a huge support uh, surrounding that. So uh, hopefully that gets done soon. He is a absolute legend, NHL legend, uh Chicago legend, you know, Stanley Cup champion, just an incredible man. So I cannot thank him enough for coming on and making this episode 100 so special. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our listeners, all of our guests, all the support we get. It's incredible. And I, I cannot believe we're at 100. I really can't believe it. So thank you to everybody. And please, we're still teamed up with Alex's Lemonade Foundation. So if you haven't done already, and so many of you have, and I thank you so much, please go subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review there. It takes one minute of your day. Leave a five-star review, and every review, a dollar is donated to the foundation. It's an amazing cause, helping fight pediatric cancer. So please go take one minute, leave a five-star review, subscribe to the show, and help that great cause out. You can find us on Spotify. Please uh, leave us a five-star review there and subscribe to the show. You can find the show on Google Play, Pandora, Spreaker, Pandora. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us there. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at BroadwayHatPod. Make sure you follow my personal Twitter account at KHOLNY for all New York Ranger updates. As training camp comes to a close here, I'm sure there'll be news of what players are getting cut, what players are getting traded, what players are moving. So make sure you go follow me there for all updates. Stay up to date on all New York Ranger news and and updates there. Make sure you go follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at the Broadway Hat Podcast. And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.